and mindful that you will be with us through 2023. Help us. As we come into this new year, some of us have a flurry of emotions. There's joy, there's sorrow, there's tumultuousness, there's peace, there's the the hope for new and the future that is coming. So Lord, meet us where we are, even today, right here, no matter what we've come through, maybe last night or this morning, we pray that you would entune our hearts with your spirit, that we would hear your word, that we would know that you have a plan very much for us, that you care deeply, that you're not going to let us go, you're not going to forsake us. So Lord, we long to see you, we will wait until you return, but we will continue to say with John here in our passage today and with all the saints, since you were on earth, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Welcome to 2023. I'm really praying that this year will be a great year for you. No matter what the Lord has for our world, for our country, for MRPC, and what the Lord allows into each of your lives this year, I would like for us to remember that He cares, that He loves you, that He does, He has a plan. Well, we've come to a great portion of Scripture this morning to remind us of just that. We've come to the very end, and God is going to summarize Scripture for us and take us into the future in just two chapters. If you've been reading along with us this year in 2022, journeyed through Scripture with us, then Revelation 21 and 22 was a welcomed ending for you yesterday. I want to read a good bit of chapters 21 and 22, but I won't be able to read all of it. I want to go through some specific verses in the sermon, even ones that I haven't read here just now in a moment. So I'm hoping that you can kind of follow along. So roughly knowing where we are, where I've gotten my points from this morning. So the initial text will be on the screen. So if you really do, if you have a Bible or a a device, something with the text on it, go ahead and get that out. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Jump down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John, one of Jesus' disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, wrote a gospel as well as three letters, and then finally this prophetic work, Revelation. While we can get lost in all of the descriptions and the fantastical imagery Overanalyzing it to death, potentially, it's a beautiful book. It tells us who God is. It tells us that we have a future coming that will be in an entirely new reality for us. And then it makes it clear that we have a response to make to it all, to make to God. We're going to jump in. First point, who God is. Throughout the Bible, in our reading this year, we've had glimpses of who God is. From God speaking to Moses at the burning bush, then jumping far ahead, Jesus in human form. And here in the very last chapters of the Bible, God reveals John in even more detail who God is. Fulfilling, he's filling out this picture of who Jesus is and who God is in the Old and the New Testament. He wants John to tell the church who he is for their glory, for their hope for their security, to build their faith in what is real, that God is the ultimate reality, even while his people are being persecuted here on earth. So who he is, I think, will blow us away when we see a sneak peek through John in Revelation. Three points under who God is. First, God is glory and light. Look at the end of twenty-two sixteen. Jesus is the bright morning star. This reference is probably an allusion to Isaiah 61 to 3. Scholars think, arise, shine, for your light has come. And Jesus is our light in the darkness. Christ has begun a new redemptive 
day. It's been inaugurated. It's been kicked off and implemented. And the future fulfillment is all certain. This is glorious. John also mentions in 21, 23, and then 22, 5, that there will be no sun or moon in the future. The glory of God gives all the light that we need. The lamp is the lamb of God. Take a moment. No sun, just God in his glory lighting up the universe. He is glory and he is light. We know this with our minds, but we are being asked to imagine it, to believe it in our future hope. Second, God is worthy of worship. In 22.9, at the end of that verse, we are called to worship God. He is worthy of worship. In 21.5, 22.6 and 16, it's God's word that is trustworthy and true. Jesus sent an angel to testify to the church about these things. John says he is worthy of worship called the Lord, the God of the spirits and the prophets. And with that, we see that Jesus is also greater than the angels, starting in 22.8. What John did when he heard and saw these things from the angel, he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. But the angel said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, your brother and prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. You probably remember back a long time ago now in this year when Nebuchadnezzar accepted praise from others who were saying that he must be a God, little g. And the Lord God took his speech, took his humanity for a time. There's only one God, and he is worthy of our worship. So not only is God glory and light and worthy of our worship, he's also all that we need. He describes himself as the alpha, the beginning, the first, chapters 21 and 6, and again 22, 13. He's the omega, the end, the last. He's the finisher it is done. He's all we need from beginning to end. And then in chapter 21, 6, Jesus is the thirst quencher. We receive free water of life from the Spirit. Those who are thirsty. Are you thirsty? We can't live very long without water. But Jesus is what you need. That's that picture. He's that important. So in the midst of this hard reality, he is sustaining us even as he is bringing a new beginning for us. Jesus says repeatedly in chapter 22 that he is the one who is coming soon. We need him. Here on earth, we are constantly preparing things. New parents with a baby, you did not leave the house for travel over Christmas without a pack and play, diapers, wipes, burp cloths, hopefully monogrammed, a pump, multiple changes of clothes, toys, swings, right? Am I exaggerating? It's nuts. When I go backpacking, even if I'm traveling really, really light, trying to take as little as possible, I still have to take a sleeping bag, a pad, tent, food for however many days. I'm out, a water purifier, stove, fuel, first aid, appropriate clothing, my pack, hiking poles. We're always preparing for things to meet our needs. But here we see that Jesus is all that we need. That's it. There's your checklist for preparing for eternity. Jesus, check. When we get a clearer picture then of who this God is, we worship our light, our worthy one, all we need. It motivates us. So who, who do you see God as? What truth about God do you need to believe right now in this season of your life? What do you need to believe to be able just to hold on? Maybe to be able to say no to other things and yes 
to him. I was talking with someone in the office recently, and they were very content with where God had them. I was amazed. Physically, they were not doing so great. Emotionally, they'd had some very difficult, even traumatic experiences in their life, even recently. Loss, pain, family issues. Mentally, they, this is their words, they said that they felt like they were slipping. But spiritually, they said to me that they have never been better. And they unknowingly challenged me not to look to this life for hope and joy, but to look to Jesus. They said, I've always heard this. People say this, look to Jesus. But what is that? I said, good question. How do you do that? They said, you stop looking at yourself and all the things around you. And then he's there. Point taken. Could it be that easy? Well, it does take practice. It takes remembering. And that's one thing that the Bible is constantly reminding us to do. Remember. Remember who God is. Remember his blessings to us. And that's what this life is about. Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. We worship him. And he provides for us light, glory, everything we need. He's what I need to hold on to. How about the other side of things? It could be phrased this way. What lie are you believing about God that's hindering you from following him? Maybe you think that he's just really distant, so removed from your daily experience, he just has no impact on your life. Maybe he seems so big and mysterious. How could I come to him? Maybe you just can't bring yourself to give generously to him through the church. Maybe you're taking that step and it it just feels so scary. What if he doesn't provide for you and you come to financial ruin because you gave God first? No doubt these questions, I think, and fears are coming to us regularly. And I'd probably say regularly as lies. That they will hinder you in believing who God is. That it matters. That he's good. And he's for you. He's for his people. So hang in there with me. Let's peek around just a little bit more into these words that, that, that God leaves us with in Revelation 21 and 22. We've seen how God gives a fuller picture of who he is in these chapters, but he also reorders our existence, showing us this is our new future, the new reality coming. It's with him in a very new way. The old is being stripped away. We are far, so very far from his original plan for us. Often in marital counseling or even premarital counseling, I kind of use this visual. I might say, okay, so you started here uh, roughly, but with slight shifts over time. Maybe you stopped going to to bed at the same time or together. Uh, What we were thought were your common interests are no longer so common anymore. You're no longer intimate or maybe not very frequently. Uh, You're too tired to engage and communicate. So you just stop and you find yourself so far away from where you started, where you began. In creation, God began the world, man and woman, without sin. But sin did enter through Adam. And even the difference of our world today with where we are compared to where and how God created us in the garden. It's stunning. It's almost unbelievable. In this new reality, first subpoint, God is the fulfillment of the covenant. In 21, 3, and 7, God declares that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God says to us, to you, he goes on, I will be his God and he will be my son. That's tender language of a loving heavenly father, compassionate God. 
This dwelling, this tabernacling is straight out of Ezekiel and Leviticus. It's God with us. Not us on earth and him in heaven, but even closer than he's ever been. Closer than in his incarnation. Closer than his children, us now having his spirit indwell us. The covenant formula that they, that we will be his people, that God himself will be with us as their God. That promise that God has been saying again and again throughout the Old Testament for you and me is our new reality fulfilled. As good as it was to hear those older prophecies when they were speaking to a singular kind of people, group, a nation, it's so much better to hear in Revelation where God uses the plural form and he says the fulfillment is unto the nations, every tribe, every tongue, people, nation, However, it's totally been God's plan all along uh, to Abraham in Genesis 12. That was a long time ago. So he's saying, if you're a Gentile here, as I am, God says, welcome. Come, worship me with all my people. God says, I am your new reality. This new reality with him will be by sight, face to face, completely unveiled. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in you, in me, dwelling with him. The covenant fulfilled. We, his children, his people. And then as 21.7 says, conquerors. I don't always feel like a conqueror, that's for sure. Our new reality is safe. It's whole. It's sin-free. It's in him. It's with him forever. So secondly, this new reality with him includes a new heaven and a new earth, both in 21.1. And on that new earth, we're going to be living in a new Jerusalem. This is compelling. Listen to the description of the new Jerusalem. You can find this starting in 21.2. It's as a thoughtful groom for his new bride. Uh, that, that, that man, I just did a wedding last night. It ended right at midnight, pr- pronounced the <laughs> vows. And it was so awesome to think about that, how thoughtful that groom was for his new bride. Even more than that, of course, God is so thoughtful about us in our new dwelling place with him. In 21.9, we're called the wife of the lamb. This is ultimate nesting language, right? Before one gets married, they often lovingly and filled with hope for all that's in the future to come. They prepare uh, for that home for two people, right? Getting it just right. And then before someone has a child, they often nest, right? They get it ready, everything ready for that perfect new addition that's coming to the family. God is nesting here, as it were. This new reality is going to be amazing. So let's look at what he's prepared for us in this new Jerusalem. In 2110, God takes John in the spirit to a high mountain, and there John sees the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And then this next verse, the city is seen, the city is seen as the glory of God. And then there's this wild and lavish description of the new Jerusalem beginning in 21, 11 to 21. You can totally read that on, on your own, especially if you're a jeweler or interested in jewelry, mind, prepare to be blown. 21, 22 announces that there will be no temple because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. Whoa. So I was in Israel this summer with a group from MRPC, and nightly uh, while we were there, uh, we would find ourselves standing at the Wailing Wall, at the western wall of the Temple Mount. It's that last kind of subterranean uh, part of the base of the Temple Mount from when Jesus was there. 
It's called the Wailing Wall because Jews, especially Orthodox Jews, pray there regularly for Yahweh to send the Messiah to rebuild the temple so they can uh, reinstate the sacrificial laws for God and follow those. They want to worship him the way he originally prescribed in Exodus and Leviticus. The picture that we have seen here in Revelation is a new reality, and it does not need or have a Western wall or a temple in any way, shape, or form. The temple is the Lord God. We worship him. So not stones, not a vision of the past. We're not looking for a Messiah. The temple does not need to be rebuilt before some non-Jesus Messiah can come. Jesus, the only Messiah, has come, and he's promised to return. And this is what we can expect, him. I encourage you to read more on chapter 21 about the new Jerusalem with the gate that will never be shut by day, no night there, the river of the water of life flowing there, God and the lamb on the throne where the servants worship him and the tree of life brings abundance. There are loads of things present in this new heaven and earth and I'd encourage you to look more closely at that this afternoon. But there are some things that are absent from the new heaven and the new earth. We've touched on a couple of them, and I've waited to discuss some of those that are conspicuously absent from the new heaven and earth, and hopefully this will provide some encouragement to us walking into 2023 and thinking about our future new reality with God. Third point under that, it will, the new heaven and new earth will exclude some things. There will be no tears. Also in that verse 21.4, the new heaven excludes death mourning, crying, pain, all of those formal things that we are all far too familiar with are going to be no more. You might be sitting here thinking, wow, nope, that really does not sound like my life right now. I'm bogged down by a failing marriage, anxiety, frustration with lost dreams, maybe loneliness, my disappointment with life, maybe it hasn't been all that I'd hoped it would be. Well, you're right. Remember, remember this, that we got really far away from God in the fall. And here we are, thousands of years later, so many generations removed. But get excited about this new reality with God. We will be free. We will see Jesus. He's going to be so different than our current very limited view of God will allow. So we've seen who God is, our new reality with God. Now let's pull those together and let's consider our response to who he is in this new reality with him. John tells us in Revelation through the Holy Spirit that there are only two ways that one can respond to who he is and what the future reality with him will be like. One response is to come to him. God is always about our heart. Your motive is the glory of and the joy in your heavenly father. You coming to Christ is all about grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's all about Christ's righteousness. He is pure and holy and just because of his perfect life and his death and resurrection and then sending his spirit into our hearts to change us, to love him, to come to him. And so we get grace because Jesus and the father paid the price bore the cost for us. Grace is only free to us. It's costly to God. But that's what he did for his children. His grace, his mercy, after that kicks in and we undergo a transformation, we are reformed 
through sanctification, the work in which God is doing in our lives to make us more like him. He works. We work alongside him. And that's leading ultimately to our glorification, which happens once Christ returns and is in our new reality. And it will be forever, and it will be set in place. We will never sin again. I think that's exciting. I know that's exciting. I think you're excited about that. It seems like it's a distant reality, this new reality, but I promise it's as sure as you are sitting here. The proper response is to come to him. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, the spirit and the bride say, come, but who can come? The text goes on. Let the one who hears say, come further. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desire, desires take the water of life without price. Come to Jesus. God's invitation is to come to him. It's for sinners, right? The invitation to come is for the lost. Think of a hiking trail. You are off trail, not on course with God. You are increasingly unfamiliar with your surroundings. You are lost. The invitation is for the disenchanted. It's for the needy and the desperate. It's for the thirsty. It's for those who can't do it on their own. It's for me. If you hear this, God says it is for you. So how do we come to him? We see our sin. We admit our sin, that we cannot get to God on our own. And we accept the gift that he is giving us. His righteousness is all that we need. It's all that we have. We accept that he's redeeming us and bringing us into this new reality that's all about him. Because he does not want to spend eternity away from his children. And in this eternity, he's prepared a permanent place for his children. That's you and me. Revelation twenty-two fourteen paints a picture of his children coming to him, had the right to the tree of life, entering the new Jerusalem freely through the gates. But he also tells us not everyone will respond by coming to Jesus. The second response is to reject him. While there's a permanent place for folks who have come to Jesus, an eternal dwelling place with the Father, there's also a permanent place, who are, permanent place for folks who are dead set on rejecting him. These folks want the opposite of light, the opposite of peace, of true love. They don't want life. They choose death. And Revelation 21.8 calls it the second death, a lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Through the Spirit, John lists some distinctives of those who cannot come to him. In 21.8, we find one list. The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable murderers are here. And then also on that second list, which I didn't read at the beginning of this, in 22.15, the same goes for sexually immoral, as well as sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Over in 22.15, everyone who loves and practices falsehood, anyone who adds to or takes away from the words of this prophecy of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. God is serious about this. And he's named Christ Jesus as judge. He's bringing recompense with him, the scripture says, to repay each for what he, she has done. His warning is issued to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's a lot to take in. And I know how my heart can respond. It can respond proudly at times. It might sound like those sinful attitudes and actions are so clearly wrong. If your life is characterized by those things, you're done for. Just read it and stop. But my heart can also feel and express this a whole lot more humbly with a weighty response sounds more like this. The, the lists are a mirror of my own heart. 
of all of these things. Maybe I've not actually murdered someone, but Moses, David, and Paul did. But as Jesus breaks it down on the Sermon on the Mount, if I have hated someone in my heart, I'm guilty, according to the law of God, of murder. Not to mention all the other things and character traits on that list. So guess what? There is not a people group on earth good enough to come to God on their own. These lists here in Revelation should not make us angry or anxious and certainly not prideful. These folks represented in these lists are those Jesus came to save. So if it's you, if it's me, we take heart. I know I was on those lists before I became a new creation, but shockingly, I'm now seen by the Father as righteous because of Jesus' blood covering my sin and making me pure. Nothing I have done has made me that way. God intervened. He showed me my sin. He gave me the gift of repentance for my sin and for my good works, right? Those places where I still tend to say, thank you, Jesus. I got it from, I got it from here. I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. That was great. In spite of all that, God still enables me to come to him. In his gracious plan of redemption, Jesus is blowing away our attitudes, our actions, our self-righteousness. And these sinful characteristics of our heart that had us on those lists, he's blowing them away by his grace, by his character, by his perfect life and death. And he is giving us new life without any cost to us. Now we're on a new list in a new book. And it's the Lamb's book. And it's all about the new life, new reality to worship. And it's been written before the foundation of the world. Praise God. So in Christ, rooted and grounded in him, we can come to him. Folks, you have a response to make. Will you come to Jesus or will you reject him? I beg you not to reject him. Come to him. He will lead you. Get with others here at Mitchell Road, somewhere else. Just get discipleship going, following Jesus. Don't walk this road alone. The words from Revelation twenty-two twenty are the new heart's desire of his children. We say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And I say from Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, a pastor who knows at least a little bit about how difficult life can be, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word, thank you that we can trust it, that it's true, that what you've said in these last two chapters are for us, knowing more about who you are, about the new reality that that is fixed, it's set. And your children are an integral part of it as we worship you for eternity. Lord, if our hearts need to be changed, change those hearts now. We beg you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Worshiping corporately with our brothers and sisters in Christ, proclaiming your glory, proclaiming a new hope and a new reality. Lord, we are coming in all different emotional, mental, maybe physical, spiritual ways to this moment right now. Today, So, Lord, meet us in those. Some are rejoicing. Some are weeping. Some are confused, doubting any number of things. And some feel at peace 
and feel great hope. Lord, I pray for all of those folks here in different situations that you would meet them powerfully. Maybe it's with someone in, a, in the pew next to them after the service or uh, maybe it's next week, next month. But Lord, meet us. We know that you'll never forsake us. We know uh, that we will be with you forever. Lord, sometimes it's, it's difficult maybe to believe that or to experience that now. So Lord, help us to hold on until you come. And we pray that you would do that quickly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to 2023. I am praying that this year will be a great year for you. No matter what the Lord has for the world, our country, MRPC, what the Lord allows into each of your lives this year, I would like for us to remember that he cares, that he loves you, and that he has a plan. Well, it's really great that we come to this portion of Scripture this morning to remind us of just that. And we've come to the very end of the text. God is going to summarize Scripture and take us into the future in just two chapters. If you've read along with us in 2022, journeyed through Scripture with us, then Revelation 21 and 22 was a welcome ending yesterday. I want to read a good part of chapters 21 and 22 now, but I won't be able to read it all. I'm going to go to specific verses throughout the scripture, some maybe I haven't even read. So if you will, the initial text will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible or a device, I'd recommend that you get that out and you can follow along uh, with us. Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Jump down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. For they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John is one of Jesus' disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. He wrote a gospel as well as three letters, and then finally he wrote this prophetic work, Revelation, through the Spirit. While we could get lost in this work, this book, with all the descriptions and the fantastical imagery, kind of overanalyzing it to death at times, it's a beautiful book, and it tells us who God is. It tells us that we have a future coming that will be entirely a new reality for us. And then it makes it clear that we have a response to make to it all, to make to God. We're going to jump right in. First point, who God is. Throughout the Bible in our reading this year, we have had glimpses of who God is from God speaking to Moses at the burning bush, then jumping far ahead to Jesus in human form. And here in the very last chapters of the Bible, God reveals John in even more detail who God is. Filling out that picture of himself from the Old and the New Testaments, John is being asked to tell the church who God is for their hope, for their security, to build their faith in what is real, that God is the ultimate reality, even while his people are being persecuted here on earth. Who he is will blow us away as we see the sneak peek through John in Revelation. There's three points under who God is. First, God is glory and light. Look at the end of verse or chapter 22, 16. Jesus is the bright morning star. Scholars think that this is probably an allusion to Isaiah 61 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Jesus is our light in the darkness. Christ has begun a new redemptive day. It's been inaugurated. It's been kicked off. It's been implemented. And the future fulfillment of it all is certain. And this is glorious John also mentions in 21.23 and 22.5 that there will be no sun or moon in the future. The glory of God gives us all the light that we will need. And the lamp is the lamb of God. Take a moment. No sun. Just God in all of his glory lighting up the universe. He is glory and he is light. We, We know this in our minds, but we're being asked to imagine it. And to believe it here for our future hope. Second, God is worthy of worship. In 22.9, at the end of that verse, we are called to worship 
God. He is worthy of worship. In 21, 5 and 22, 6 and 16, it's God's word that is trustworthy and true. And Jesus sent an angel to testify to the church about these things. John says he is worthy of worship. He's called the Lord, the God of the prophets and the spirits. And with that, we see that Jesus is greater than the angels. Starting in 22, 8, what John did when he heard and saw these things from the angel, he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. But the angel said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Remember a long time ago when Nebuchadnezzar accepted praise from folks who were saying that he is a God, little g-o-d. And the Lord God took his speech and his humanity from him for a time. There is only one God and he is worthy of our worship. So not only is God glory and light and worthy of our worship, He's all we need. He describes himself as the alpha, the beginning, the first, and he's the omega, the end, the last. He's the finisher. It is done. Chapter 22 says he is all that we need from beginning to end. And then in chapter 21, 6, Jesus is the thirst quencher, free water of life from the spring to those who are thirsty. Are you thirsty? We can't live long without water. And Jesus is what you mean. It's, it's, it's that essential to our being, and we don't readily consider that. But in the midst of this hard reality, he is sustaining us, even as he is bringing a new beginning for us. So Jesus is repeatedly saying this phrase, this concept throughout chapter 22, the one who is coming soon. And we need him. And here on earth, we are constantly preparing things that we need. If you're a new parent or you can remember back, maybe a grandparent, uh, for when you had a baby in your life, in your house, and you decided you wanted to travel, Uh, maybe just hypothetically over Christmas, you left with a pack and play. You left with diapers and wipes, burp cloths, hopefully all monogrammed, a pump, Multiple changes of clothes, toys, swings, right? Am I exaggerating? This is nuts. But when I go backpacking, I do the same thing. If I'm packing light, trying to be as, take as little as I can, I still have to take a sleeping bag, a tent, food for however many days. I'm out, water purifier, stove, fuel, first aid, appropriate clothing, my pack, hiking poles. We are preparing things all the time to meet our needs. But here we see that Jesus is all that we need. That's it. There's your checklist for preparing for eternity. Jesus, check. When we get a clearer picture of who this God is that we worship, our light, the one that is worthy, the one that is all we need, it motivates us. Who who do you see God as? What truth about God do you need to believe right now in this season of your life? What do you need to believe to be able to just hold on? Maybe even to say no to other things so that you say yes to him. I was talking with someone in the office recently, and they were very content with where God had them. And I was amazed. Physically, not so great. Emotionally, they had some very difficult, even traumatic experiences in their life recently. Loss, pain, family issues, and even mentally, they shared with me that they felt like they might be slipping. 
but spiritually, they, they said that they had never been better. They unknowingly challenged me to not look to this life for hope and joy, but to look to Jesus. They, they said, I always heard this. People say this, look to Jesus. But what is that? I said, good question. How do you do that? And they said, you stop looking at yourself and all the things around you, and then he's there. Point taken. Could it be that easy? I do think it takes practice. I think it takes remembering. And one thing that the Bible is constantly having us do, reminding us to do, is to just do that, to remember who God is, his blessings for us, what this life is all about. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. We worship him, and he provides for us. He provides light and glory, everything we need. The other side of looking at this could be phrased, what lie are you believing about God that's hindering you right now and following him? Maybe you think he is just so distant, so removed from your daily experience. He has no impact on my life. Maybe even particularly as you read and hear Revelation 21 and 22. Maybe he seems so big and mysterious. How could I come to him? Maybe you just can't bring yourself to give generously to him through the church. Taking that step of faith seems so scary. What if he doesn't provide for you and you come to financial ruin because you gave first to God? No doubt these questions, these fears are coming to us regularly as lies. They will hinder you in believing who God is, that he matters, that he's good, and that he is for you, his people. So hang in there with me. Let's peek a little bit more around here. We've seen how God gives us a fuller picture of who he is in these chapters. He's also reordering our existence, showing us that this is our new future, the new reality coming, and it's with him, and it's a new way. The old is being stripped away. Y'all, we are so far from his original plan for us. Often in marital counseling, even in premarital counseling, I use this visual. I might say uh, with a couple, well, you started here right roughly with the same uh, kind of maybe disposition, maybe even culturally you were very, very similar. But over the years, maybe you stopped going to bed at the same time. And, and maybe what were some of your common interests? You know, they've kind of waned a little bit. Uh, maybe you're not intimate as much, not very frequently. Maybe you're just too tired to engage and communicate at times, and you might find yourself really far apart than where you started. And in creation, God began the world, man and woman, without sin. But sin did enter through Adam and Eve, and the difference in the world today, it's unbelievable. It's stunning. But we have this new reality. First subpoint under that, God is the fulfillment of the covenant. In 21, 3 and 7, God declares that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God says to us, to you, I will be his God and he will be my son. This is tender language of a loving father, a compassionate God, this dwelling This tabernacling that he's talking about is straight out of Ezekiel and Leviticus. It's God with us, not us on earth and him in heaven, but even closer than he's ever been with us, even in the incarnation, even closer than his children who we have him indwelling us now. 
the covenant formula that we, that they will be his people, that God himself will be with them as their God, that promise from God, we have been tracking with that throughout the whole Old Testament. For you and me, this new reality, it will be fulfilled. As good as it was to hear those older prophecies speak to a singular people, nation, people group, it's so much better to hear in Revelation with this plural form now being used by John, by by being used by God, where it says the fulfillment is unto the nations, every tribe, tongue, people, nation. It's been God's plan all along. I think it was clear in Uh, particularly, I guess, in Genesis 12 with Abraham. Uh, And that's a long time ago, if you look back. And even then, he knew that God was going to, it was, God was more than just for the Jewish people, the Hebrews. It was going to be forever, but sometimes we forget that. So if you are a Gentile here, as I am, God says, welcome, come, worship me with all my people. God says, I am your new Reality. This new reality with him will be by sight, face to face. That's the difference unveiled. God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit in all of his glory and majesty. And you and me dwelling with him? The covenant fulfilled. We, his children, his people. And then in 21.7, it says that we're also conquerors. Our new reality is safe. It's whole. It's sin-free. It's in and with him forever. Secondly, the new reality with him includes a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new earth, there will be a new Jerusalem. This is compelling. Listen to the description of the new Jerusalem. You can kind of find this starting at 21.2. And I just did a, I did a wedding last night and kind of pronounced them, husband and wife, around midnight last night into the new, into the new year. And I was impressed with how much this groom had been thoughtful for his then wife and had just loved and loved and loved on her and prepared a house for her and all that. It was so sweet. So as thoughtful as a groom is for his new bride, even more, way more thoughtful is God about us and our future dwelling place with him. In 21.9, we're called the wife of the lamb. This is ultimate nesting. Right before one gets married, they often lovingly and filled with hope for the future about what's to come, prepare the home for two, getting it just right. And then when, before someone has a child, they, they do nest and they're getting everything ready to welcome this new addition to the family. God is nesting as it were here. Our new reality is going to amaze us. Let's look what happens as he prepares this new Jerusalem. In 2110, God takes John in the spirit to a high mountain and there John sees the Holy Spirit the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And then in the next verse, the city is seen as the glory of God. This wild, lavish description follows of the new Jerusalem beginning in 21, 11 to 21. So you can read that on your own, especially if you are a jeweler, jeweler, or if you like jewelry, your mind, prepare for that to be blown. So read that this afternoon. 21, 22 announces though that there will be no temple because the temple is the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Whoa. So I was in Israel this summer and with a group from MRPC, and nightly we would find ourselves at the Wailing Wall, at the western wall of the Temple Mount, at that last subterranean part of the base of the Temple Mount from when Jesus was there. It's called the Wailing Wall because Jews, especially Orthodox 
Jews pray there regularly for Yahweh to send the Messiah and rebuild the temple so they can reinstate the sacrificial laws of God and follow those worshiping him in the way that he originally prescribed in Exodus and Leviticus. The picture here that we have in Revelation is a new reality, and it does not need or have a Western wall or a temple in any way, shape, or form. The temple is the Lord God. We worship him, so not stones, not a vision of the past. We are not looking for the Messiah. The temple does not need to be rebuilt before some non-Jesus Messiah can come. Jesus, the only Messiah, has come, and he's promised to return. And this is what we can expect, him. I encourage you to read more in chapter 21 about this new Jerusalem. So much in there. Loads of things are present in there, this new heaven and new earth. But there's also some things that are absent. Some are conspicuously absent. And so let's, let's look at those now. Hopefully this will be very encouraging to you. The new reality, thirdly, will exclude some things from the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Those former things that we are all too familiar with are going to be no more. You might be sitting here thinking, wow, yep, nope, that really does not sound like my life right now. I'm bogged down in a troubled or failing marriage. My anxiety, my, the frustration with my lost dreams, my loneliness, maybe disappointment with life not being all that I had hoped that it would be. Well, you're right. I mean, remember that? Remember this little, this little illustration? Uh, we got really far away from God in the fall. And here we are, thousands of years later, so many different generations removed. But get excited with me about this new reality with God. We're going to be free. We're going to see Jesus. And he's going to be different than our very limited view will allow. So we've seen who God is. We've seen our new reality with God. Now let's pull those together and consider our response to who he is in this new reality with him. John tells us in Revelation through the Holy Spirit that there are only two ways one can respond to who he is and what that future reality with him will be like. One response is to come to him. God is always about the heart, right? Your motive is the glory of and your joy in your heavenly father. You coming to Christ, all about grace. We're gonna see it at the table again in just a few minutes. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's all about Christ's righteousness. He's pure. He's holy. He's just because of his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, and then his sending of his Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to love him, to come to him. And so we get grace because Jesus and the Father have paid the price. They bore the cost for us. Grace is only free to us. It's costly to God. But that's what he did for his children, his grace, his mercy. After that kicks in, we undergo a transformation. We are reformed through sanctification. The work with the Holy Spirit is doing, making us more and more like him. We, lurk, we work alongside him. And this is ultimately leading, to, ultimately leading to our glorification. Once that happens, Christ will have returned. Our new reality is forever set in place we can never sin again. 
I don't even know if we can hardly think or imagine what that would be like. Glorious. Our proper response is to come to him. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The spirit and the bride say, come. But who can come? The text goes on. Let the one who hears come. Further, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take water of life without price come to Jesus. God's invitation to come to him is for sinners. His invitation is for the lost. Think of a, a hiking trail. You're off trail. You're not on course with God. You are increasingly unfamiliar with your surroundings. You are lost. The invitation is for the disenchanted. It's for the needy and the desperate. It's for the thirsty. It's for those who can't do it on their own. It's for me. And if you hear this, God says, it's for you. So how do we come to him? We see our sin. We admit our sin, that we can't get to God on our own. We accept the gift that he's giving us, that his righteousness is all that we need and all that we have. We accept that he is redeeming us and bringing us into this new reality that's all about him because he does not want to be separated from us for eternity. And in that eternity, God has already prepared for us a permanent place for each of his children. Revelation twenty-two fourteen paints a picture of his children coming to him, having the right to the tree of life, entering the new Jerusalem freely through the gates. But he also tells us not everyone will respond by coming to him. The second response is to reject him. While there's a permanent place for folks who do come to him, an eternal dwelling place with God, the Father is also a permanent place for folks who are dead set on rejecting him. These folks want the opposite of light, the opposite of peace and true love. They don't want life. They choose death. Revelation 21, 8 calls it the second death, a lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Through the Spirit, John lists some distinctives of those who will not come to him. In 21.8, we find one list, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable murderers are here. And then on the second list, which I didn't initially read in 22.15, the same goes for the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Over in 22.15, everyone who loves and practices falsehood, anyone who adds to or takes away from the words of this prophecy of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. I think God is serious about this. (laughs) Sure sounds like it. And he named Christ Jesus as judge. And he goes on to say he's bringing recompense with him to repay each for what he or she has done. His warning is issued to anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Wow, that's okay. Okay, it's a lot to take in. And I know how my heart can proudly respond at times to this, it might sound like, you know, those sinful attitudes and actions are so clearly wrong. If your life is characterized by these things, you're done for. Just read it. Stop. But then my heart can also feel and express this a whole lot more humbly with a weighty response and says, you know what? This list is a mirror of my own heart. My own heart. These things. Maybe I haven't actually murdered someone, though Moses, David, and Paul did, but as Jesus breaks it down in the Sermon on the Mount, if I've hated someone in my heart, I'm guilty according to the law of God of murder, not to mention all the other lists. So guess what? There is not a group of people on earth good enough to come to God on their own. These lists here in Revelation should not make us angry or anxious and certainly not prideful. The folks in these lists are the ones who Jesus came to save. 
I was on those lists before I became a new creation. And shockingly, I'm now seen by the Father as righteous because of Jesus' blood covering my sin, making me pure. Nothing that I have done has made me this way. God intervened. He showed me my sin. He gave me the gift of repentance for my sin and repentance for my good works. Those places where I till, still kind of tend to say, okay, now, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I got it now. I'll take it from here. That was awesome. Thank you. In spite of all that, God still enables me to come to him. And in his gracious plan of redemption, though, Jesus is blowing away all of our attitudes, all of our actions and self-righteousness and these sinful characteristics of our heart that had us on those lists. He's blowing them away by his grace, by his character, his perfect life and death. And he's giving us new life at no cost to us. And now we find ourselves on a new list in a new book, in the Lamb's book, and it's all about a new life. It's about new reality of worship, and it's been written before the foundation of the earth, praise God. So in Christ, we are rooted and grounded in Him, and we can come to Him. Folks, you have a response to make. Will you come to Jesus? Will you reject Him? I beg you not to reject Him. Come to Him. He will lead you. Come and get involved with others here at MRPC or somewhere else. Just get discipleship going, following Jesus. Don't walk it alone. The words from Revelation twenty two twenty are the new heart's desire of his children. We say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then I say from Revelation twenty two twenty one, as a pastor who knows just the tiniest bit about how difficult life can be, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you 